Today on the show, a well-known cardinal flies on to sainthood, the hungry get fasting, and facing fear in order to be holy, the Catholic underground starts right now. may have forgotten the rest of my intro there, but we are uh, the Catholic Underground, and it is time for our weekly program. We're the podcast that tries to cut through the noise of the digital continent and bring you the topics that matter. It's episode number 389. I'm Father Chris Decker, for some reason not reading from the script today. Joining me this week, we've got Kathleen Lee. She's the executive director of the Women's New Life Center mm-hmm. here in Baton Rouge. Yes. Kathleen, good to be with you. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. She... Um, she has been busy, but she still manages to come on down to the studio and don't let him. I don't crank have, out a live show. I don't have a life. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to trying to talk you Thanks, up here, Kathleen. Appreciate it. I mean, yes, yes, o- yes. Over on the other end of the table is Olivia Galino. She's the associate director of youth and young adult ministry for the Diocese of Baton Rouge. Also leads a busy life, but joins us every week. Hey, Olivia. Hello. And uh, up on the Jeff Star One Near Earth Orbit Satellite, it is a special time of year because Jeff Blackwell <laughs> is there. Um, he's kind of, he's there all the time, actually. And is he talking to me? Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey Jeff, you, are you talking to me? Jeff's the tech director of the Catholic Underground. He's, so I've been told. Yeah, he's the commandant of that satellite. <laughs> Welcome, Jeff. It's good to be here, Father. And also we've got Ed Ball. He's our video director. And he's uh, he's running all the video. If you're watching us on television in whatever manner you happen to be doing that on the video feed, or if you're listening to us on the radio, Ed doesn't have anything to do with that. But uh, we still are glad that he's here because he makes us look good on the radio. He does. And then yeah. we feel good. And then we say things that hopefully are smart. That's very mm-hmm. true. That's very true indeed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find myself looking at myself in the monitor all the time. We know. <laughs> look at you. Yeah, we, 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 we picked up on that. We, oh, we watch good? you doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it is indeed the time that we have all been waiting for because a, a cardinal that uh, is, is a very famous one. And boy, oh boy, what a wonderful human being, huh? Um, Cardinal, or John Henry Cardinal Newman. Yes. Yes, uh, he is one of the most prominent figures in British Catholicism, and he's going to be named a saint uh, after Pope Francis approved a miracle that was attributed to him. He was a theologian and a scholar. He was one of the highest profile Anglicans to convert to Catholicism during the Victorian era. And he is going to be Britain's first saint since 1976. Wow. So this is a real Mm. uh, beautiful connection uh, with with, uh, Catholics in the church in England. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a really beautiful thing, too, because oftentimes we, um, we kind of... After the Protestant Reformation, or I should say, after the the Protestant Revolution in mm-hmm. uh, in England, uh, and all of the, the the things that happened following that, there there was perhaps uh, this kind of um, kind of halt to a lot of the the things that happened within relations between Anglicans and Catholics, and these are slowly beginning to to kind of um, take fire again. Mm-hmm. And so this is a really beautiful thing to see uh, Cardinal Newman being um, being canonized. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI beatified him. Whenever he visited Britain in 2010, and uh, the the first miracle was ascribed to uh, to to Cardinal Newman's intercession, mm-hmm. and so he was beatified. And so here, just a, a few years later, really eight years later, nine, um, he here he is uh, canonized. He has credited him, credited him, uh, hmm, he's credited Newman with a, a second miracle, clearing the way for him to be declared a saint. Now, if you'll remember from your reading, there used to be three miracles that were required. Mm-hmm. Uh, before one could be mm-hmm. canonized. And that's really, for those of you who may not know, there is a process uh, to canonization, right? Uh, you're, you're named a servant of God, meaning somebody who, who lived a life that was heroic. Um, and then uh, venerable would be the next step. 
and then after the that level of um, of being named venerable, like someone who is worthy of of having our intercession asked. Is that right? Have, yeah. Worthy mm -hmm. of us asking their intercession. Mm -hmm. uh, then they are beatified after a miracle is ascribed to to their intercession. Uh, and this, of course, is a process that's very involved. And then after beatification, they are named a saint after a second miracle. The third miracle uh, was waived, I believe. I want to say that John Paul II was the I one to so. wave that. I can't, I can't remember. really remember. I should have done all of my research, but I didn't. Um, and so, and so, uh, so the second miracle was named. In fact, the miracle itself is really kind of a beautiful thing. It involved the recovery of a pregnant woman, a pregnant American from a, a life-threatening illness. Mm. Uh, the church claims that the recovery had no scientific explanation and attributed it to Newman's intercession. And of course, this is part of the investigation that takes place, wherein um, there are uh, kind of interrogators, if you will, for mm -hmm. want of a better term, that, that inspect everything surrounding the miracle, the attribution of the miracle. And so they speak with doctors, they speak with the person uh, who received the, the miracle, mm -hmm. they, they speak to the family members, they attest to their believability and all those sorts of things. Um, and so the, the story is an expectant mother was suffering from an unstoppable internal bleeding situation that threatened the life of her child in the womb. And this is what the Diocese of Westminster um, in, in uh, London reports. Um, she had long been a devotee of Blessed John Henry, and in prayer she directly and explicitly invoked his intercession to stop the bleeding. The miraculous healing was immediate, complete, and permanent. Mm. And so that was the, the second miracle that was uh, granted by mm. our Lord through the intercession of, of Blessed uh, John Henry Newman. Mm. Very cool. Really a beautiful... It's, it's interesting, too, because... John Henry Newman, uh, you know, you, you might uh, you might not think uh, of him as uh, a saint who would who would right. uh, grant uh, the or who would intercede for a new mother, right? Mm -hmm. um, because whenever we think about the saint, right, we mm -hmm. think about him, we think about his his academic career. Right, he was right. an intellectual. He was. He was an intellectual. Uh, he was the one of the the founders, if you will, of uh, of the Oxford movement. He was mm -hmm. the founder of the Oratory of Saint Philip Neri in England. And he was one of the most prominent uh, converts to uh, to the Catholic Church from Anglicanism, and uh, he his his um, con convert conversion was very much an intellectual act combined with uh, what was going on in in his soul as mm -hmm. well. And all of his writings are, are well, they're they're pretty deep, um, mm -hmm. but but beautiful nonetheless. Um, his Apologia Pro Vita Sua, like just yeah. the story of his life is is fantastic uh, and in in some of his writings he talks about how to know history is to cease to be protestant mm -hmm. and and it was really through coming uh, just the expression and the experience of discovering the church through history he came to the point where he said i, I cannot i can't continue as an anglican and he was a pro high profile anglican as mm -hmm. well and uh and so he he kind of did away with all that he said i i can't even my priesthood in the Anglican Church, I'm willingly going to step aside from because I know this to be true. Mm. And so uh, he came into the church. He was born in 1801 in London. Uh, he was ordained as a Church of England priest. And um, he and a number of folks were kind of rep wanted to represent a return to the high church of Anglicanism. And so it was in 1845. Uh, so he was what, 44 years old mm. when, when he converted to Catholicism. And it was then that he founded the religious community called the Birmingham Oratory, which, uh, beautiful, beautiful church, to say the least. He's a poet and a philosopher. He wrote hymns. He was one of the intellectual giants of his time. And, uh, and so he authored, let's see, 40 books, 21,000 letters. My. Yeah. Wow. Mm. 
he wrote on the development of Christian doctrine. Yes, which on everyone cons- should read. Which everyone should read, absolutely, on consulting the faithful in matters mm-hmm. of doctrine. So the notion of kind of breaking open the um, the sensus fidelium, mm-hmm. right, the sense of the faithful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, he also wrote an essay on the grammar of assent. It's so good. Yes. It's a little more tedious, but because mm-hmm. um, it's more philosophical, he's kind of figuring or working through, like, how we can come to... to propositionally like give our assent to things and know things but it's mm-hmm. still really beautiful because he's he's a poet mm-hmm. um fundamentally so anything he writes even something so like precise as that is going to be just fluid and beautiful mm-hmm. yeah now I, I know that you know with all of his writings and all of his his teachings i've seen a couple of headlines on facebook which is you know <laughs> my most reliable source yeah um that some people are calling for him to be declared a doctor of the yeah. church oh, yeah. what is the like what's the process of that i've never i've never heard of the process of that i mean I've, I've, yeah I've, i know that we have doctors of the yeah. church but like mm-hmm. i don't know how you become one of those i know some of them have been by acclamation right yeah. by simply acclamation the holy father declaring it right um but uh, a lot of times uh, to be declared a doctor will be after a kind of a rigorous review of all of the writings of, right. of the saint and then uh, seeing how they are widely used within the practice of Christianity. Mm. Um, so you can see where this would definitely be a possibility yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, just the notion of grammar of assent, how we come to know things by faith, mm-hmm. how we can uh, give our will over mm-hmm. to, to the will of the church in a mm-hmm. sense, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and how we place belief in, mm-hmm. um, in the doctrines and in the dogmas. Just that work alone would probably be enough to have somebody yeah, um, right. at least considered for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but so they're they're going to n- no doubt kind of go through all of his his uh, his body of work yeah. and and see what's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about it, that's how kind of doctrine develops, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is is we look at the, the the world kind of looks at okay, how have we as Christians been um, been kind of imbibing the work of of the saint? Um, in fact, like if you look at Thomas Aquinas, say mm-hmm. Thomas Aquinas, the fact that we've been singing his hymns that he wrote. Right. Um, so um, let all mortal flesh keep mm-hmm. silent, which is next to Adoro Te Devote is my favorite hymn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and just the hymn alone, right? Yeah. And then, of course, the, the uh, Summa Theologica mm-hmm. uh, from, uh, from Thomas Aquinas. He is a doctor of the church. Right. Uh, so you, you never know. We could definitely... Mm-hmm find ourselves uh, in the ordo saying, mm. you know, cardinal and doctor. I would love that. Be very kind of a beautiful thing, priest and doctor. Mm. I wish like- that we had like a, uh, a preface in the church for for something that's specific, cardinal and doctor, because mm. I bet the language would be beautiful. Mm-hmm. You were going to say? Oh, I was just thinking too, um, you know, reading through his his his. Uh, all of his works he's very prolific but um one of the ones that i've been reading recently is um it's called everyday meditations and i um and it's really um, like if you're looking for a way maybe you aren't as familiar with newman and you're looking for a way into him um and how he like sees like how he approaches faith Mm -hmm. um especially because he has this like refreshing view since he's coming from anglicanism but he's also intellectual um these everyday meditations are probably i don't know six or seven pages each um it's by 
by Sophia Press, I think, but they're really, really beautiful. Um, and I like they really are just something that you could you could chew on every day, but they aren't things that are going to be sentimental or like fluffy. Like he really he goes to the heart of things because he's not afraid to do that. But I really recommend that book. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful uh, book. I have it myself, and yeah. um, and it's, uh, it's cheap. Too. It's uh, like thirteen bucks. Yeah, and there's an ebook version of it from Sophia Institute Press. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, um, and it's it's readable. It's mm-hmm. very readable. Oh yeah. Um, and it's not a big book either. It's a little. No, uh, it's like a, you know, yeah, nice little I mean, something to a keep on your nightstand. Little yeah. homilettes. There you uh, go. That's exactly what I do. I keep it on my nightstand. So if I if I can't sleep, if I'm just wrought with the things of the world, I'll uh, I'll pick up that book. Yes. It's either that or science fiction. So, <laughs> you know, I always say as a priest that uh, we have so much nonfiction that goes on in our lives that I need a good dose of fiction mm-hmm. from time to time. Jeff, I promise I'm looking at you over there. We, uh, we have a studio uh, guest. <laughs> she, she's right in my eyeline of Jeff, but that's okay. Oh, We're that's glad okay. you're here. Yeah. It's okay. In fact, uh, you know, that's the beautiful thing about live. Yep. Is that, yeah. Anyway, so uh, so that's uh, we're we're going to watch that uh, with great interest. The Vatican announcement was welcomed by Cardinal Nichols, who is the uh, Catholic leader mm. in England and Wales. Um, in fact, he said that Newman's exploration of faith, his depth of personal courage, intellectual clarity, and cultural sensitivity make him a deeply admired follower of Christ. Mm. He brings together so many of the best Catholic traditions shared well beyond the Catholic Church, and mm-hmm. I think that's an awesome thing to say the least. Yeah. Um, he also said, for me, the truly remarkable nature of this moment is that it is an English parish priest being declared a saint. Mm-hmm. The last Briton to uh, be canonized, incidentally, was the Scottish Catholic martyr John uh, Ogilvy, Ogilvy, who was uh, hanged for his faith in 1615. Ooh. Oh, wow. So, I've heard that name. I don't know so much about him. I don't know a whole lot either. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I'm sorry to Father Kevin Dow, my friend in Scotland, who I'm sure would love to uh, school me on this uh, Scottish Catholic On next Catholic week's Catholic I know, <laughs> exactly. We're going to work our way through all of the British things. Thank you. <laughs> We're not that kind cool. of show. Actually, that would when, be a cool uh, see you extra, yeah. you know, see you bonus cast. Gemma is coming. We might have some, some British guests soon. Well, that's true. But we can have a whole British show. Tea, crumpets, I love it. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, Gemma, Gemma, who is uh, our London correspondent for the Catholic mm-hmm. Underground, um, she uh, she is. She's coming in town. Well, yeah. I thought you said Jim. I was like, Jim's no, not Jim's British. No, Jim's from California. <laughs> Jim, <laughs> Jim is our managing editor. <laughs> uh, he could probably speak with an accent if we let him. Yep. Yeah, so. I do a good job. Well, Jeff, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm excited about uh, about blessed John Henry Cardinal Newman becoming Saint Amen. John Henry Cardinal yeah. Newman. Yeah. Uh, but I'm more excited about telling you that we are the Catholic Underground. Thou art listening to the Catholic Underground. We are online at catholicunderground.tv. I'm Father Chris Decker, joined by Kathleen Lee, the inimitable Olivia Galino, Jeff Blackwell, Ed Ball. All of us are here. We're all here. Yeah. Here we are. It's true. Yeah. Tis the truth. We are here. Here we are. Verily. <laughs> Our picks of the week are coming up. But first, we want to talk a little bit about this upcoming season, because as we come to you on the air, Lent is right around the corner. We've got one more week of green left, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and um, one more Sunday of green. And yep. then we dive right into well, we, we, what we know as Carnival, Mardi Gras, yep. Fat Tuesday. We add some yellow and, uh, well, some yeah, some yellow and green. We do. And purple and gold. Hot pink. There's all kinds of colors going on. Jewel tones. Kathleen, you are know. you seeing a lot of colors? <laughs> no, because, yes. Anyway, so yes. because that season <laughs> <laughs> because that season is uh, coming up, we thought we'd talk a little bit about fasting. 
Because oftentimes, whenever we get, think about fasting, mm-hmm. we immediately go, oh, blah, blah, yeah. you know. Yeah, let's talk about something that I know a lot about, hunger <laughs> <laughs> and fasting. Yes, yeah, so most of us have to face the truth every Lent that we are horrendous at fasting. We I don't... wonder if people are going to be better at fasting now because it's part of like the zeitgeist, this intermittent fasting mm-hmm. thing. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, every every year people are like, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give up this. I'm going to give up that because it's, it's, hip. The, tr- it's the trendy mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. right? But for most of us, namely me, <laughs> right, we might try really hard, um, but we're still... Um, overwhelmed with like headaches and tiredness that comes along with not eating, um, the constant thoughts of what you want to eat, right? And then that's on top, true. Yeah, and you know you're always thinking, well, if if I could have something right now, mm-hmm. what would yeah. it be? You know, they say, and I don't know if there's any truth to this at all. I am not a medical doctor, but <laughs> but they say that whenever you're hungry. Uh, your brain will conjure the the things that that you really like, yeah. mm-hmm. and just like flood you with raising canes chicken smell. Mm-hmm. You know, don't do that. Mm. Don't you say that. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking more like uh, fried boudin balls, chocolate yeah. milk, mm-hmm. and the Zantac chaser. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, and all of the indeed. milks of magnesia. Please. <laughs> yes. I celebrate all of the colors. So yeah. yes, anyway. yes, indeed. Well, all of these these physical. Pains, right, are also f- followed by guilt, mm. right? Well, I can't, I can't even give up one meal. I can't even give up, you know, how many times? I think Lent for me is always like New Year's. Mm. I try one thing, and then by the time Lent is over, I've tried, you know, six different things. Of this Lent, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And it never works out, right? We get, <laughs> we get cranky, we get exhausted, we get disappointed in ourselves. So how the heck does all of this fasting bring anybody closer to the Lord? I don't even know. If you're hungry, you're cranky, you're tired, how does that bring you closer? You must to- be a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it must yeah. be Lent, right? So as Catholics, we know that fasting is, is an essential part of the life of Christ, right? It's not that, that um, you know, he was like, hey, I'm going to eat all these things and y'all can't ever. <laughs> Good luck to you, right? I've declared all foods fine to eat. Now don't right. eat any Yeah, other. this yeah. is the main reason why we as Catholics are expected to fast, right? Mm-hmm. To discipline our physical appetites in order to concentrate on the spiritual realm, right? To be followers of Christ, we must do what Christ did, mm-hmm. right? Rather than being satiated and dull as a result of too much food and drink, Fasting makes our senses sharper and we become more aware of the spiritual realm, mm-hmm. right? How many times do we like, you know, and Fat Tuesday is a, hu- mm-hmm. is a huge thing down here. I mean, it's eating in general in the South mm-hmm. is a huge thing. It's true. That's how we celebrate everything. It's a Tuesday night. Let's celebrate. Let's mm-hmm. gorge ourselves. And you eat so much that you're just like, Bleh, right? You have no idea what you just, I'm going to need to go to bed. You have, you're like, that's it. You can't focus on anything. People are trying to talk to you and you're like, I'm, I'm like the meat sweats. Like, they're ridiculous, right? It's hard so, to say goodbye to meat when you're sweating through it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, true. Right? So fasting should be a sacrifice. It certainly is down here, right? But the spiritual benefits of fasting well outweigh uh, the benefits of, of um, fasting poorly. So when you fast well, Right, those benefits will outweigh, you know, the benefit or, or the proposed benefits mm-hmm. if you do it poorly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is a we, right and a wrong way, yeah. a good and a bad way to fast. I think yeah. we forget about the notion of honing 
our soul, right? right? Kind of uh, sharpening it, as, mm-hmm. as it were. Right. So how do you fast poorly when you when you don't eat and then you complain about it? <laughs> or you're, you're only, you know, you're, I don't ever push myself. I'm like, well, I'm just going to give up this one thing mm-hmm. that I really don't really like, you yeah. know. Um, but understanding hunger yeah. can actually help us fast well. Right, Dr. Jason Fung, hmm. mm-hmm. he's a Canadian nephrologist. Oh. What is a nephrologist? A specialist in kidneys and kidney functions, oh. if, you should, if you need to know. I studied the physiology of, of hunger, right? And his medical protocol of intermittent fasting mm-hmm. and work with, yeah, no, right? And work with insulin resistant diabe- diabetics addresses the hormonal roots Right of obesity and diabetes and their their attendant maladies. Right these mm-hmm. these these things that come along with it. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to to um, how does fasting not for long amounts of time but you know periodically how does that do well for you? So there he says four key points um, help us to understand hunger and thus fasting better. Yeah. Right. So number one, hunger is in your mind, not <laughs> in your tummy. Yeah. Right. So according to Dr. Fung and others, actually, hunger is uh, a conditioned response. Like whenever Olivia brings the king cake right. in. I say, oh, I'm hungry for the king cake. <laughs> You're Thank welcome. Thank you, love, and Olivia for bringing it. Right. <laughs> so it's not actually the result of, a, of an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. Right? Your mm-hmm. stomach is empty in the middle of the night. But if you wake up to, to use the bathroom or to you know, tend to your child, right? Do you need to go and eat a sandwich? Yes, turkey wraps. (laughs) Quiet down there. I do the talking. Right? Most of us are familiar with with Pavlov's Pavlov's dog, Mm -hmm. right? That whole Mm -hmm. experiment, right? They came to associate the man in a white coat and a bell um, that was wrong with food. Mm -hmm. Or Jim and Dwight. Right, right, Mm -hmm. yes. And soon Mm -hmm. whenever they perceived (laughs) this stimuli, right, they became hungry. Yep. Right. When the bell rang, they yeah. knew to expect food. Right, yeah. because they knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. They weren't actually hungry because of empty stomachs, but because of the bell. Mm-hmm. Hello, right? And so our bell, um, he proposes, is times of the day we're accustomed to eating. Yeah. Right, the, the places where we are accustomed to eating. Mm-hmm. Right, if you always get popcorn at the theater, you'll be hungry as soon as you sit down. I've never soon thought about credit, that before. I never rolls. ate popcorn uh-huh. in the theater as a kid because mm-hmm. I just didn't like popcorn. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm the only one who goes to the movies with my friends, and they say, "You don't want anything?" Like, no. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. You don't want like mm-hmm. a you know a, a pant load of nachos? <laughs> no, I really don't. I an do. entire metric pant load. That's yeah, right. who wants all that? I'll take an not, imperial pant load. Not too, me. If I'm right. really hungry, but. Ever. This could this could also be brought up around by the sight or the smell of food, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And perhaps other stimuli. But like, yeah. think about it. Somebody told me one time they're like, "Hey, when you go to the grocery store, um, you don't have to get a, a Coke to mm. check out." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Wait, what? I always you do a Coke and yeah. a candy mm-hmm. bar. Like that's it." And they're like, "No, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. It's not a requirement." <laughs> Interesting. All right, number two, you can break the conditioned response. Ah, the power of habit. Mm, yes, right. If Pavlov had wanted to break the conditioned response, he could have easily in his dogs. And the dogs would have eaten him. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> right. Simply fail to ring the bell and have little girls in blue dresses bring the food one day. See what happens, right? The next day, beat a drum and send the food out in a conveyor belt. You know, you get the idea, like right? You're, we're changing the stimuli. Right? Are you hungry at 7 a.m. every day because your stomach is empty? No. It's because you're... <laughs> no, fool. <laughs> it's because Tomorrow you're accustomed... when you're about to pour out a bowl of cereal, think of right? Kathleen's think voice. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> because you're actually accustomed to eating at 7 a.m. every day, right? If that's, your, if that's your jam, right? Break that condition response by not eating when you usually do. 
Yeah. Right. Or do things like this. Only eat at the table so that you don't mm-hmm. feel hungry every time you get in the car, or you plop down to watch TV or mm-hmm. um, or watch a movie or read. Mm-hmm. Right. Or at night before you go to bed, you always have that snack. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't Netflix do and don't put cheese all over right. everything. <laughs> That'd be nice. Right. Keep busy during that time frame of your if you know, like every afternoon you get like a two o'clock. I need a I need a candy bar right now. You better make sure you're doing something at two o'clock. A.M.? Mm-hmm. A.M., P.M., whatever. whatever time, right? All the um, ends. That's right. Right? Find a quick job. <laughs> don't. Go ahead. Of course. We call it the chocolate hour. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. 2 a.m. Oh, chocolate hour. Yes, you can sleep Find through it. The reckoning will come. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Keep going. Keep going. I'm okay, sorry. Number three, sorry. hunger is temporary and mm-hmm. it comes in waves. Yeah. Right? Learning this is huge. Right. Uh, as is learning ways to help ride out the wave. Mm-hmm. Right. Hunger pangs are real. You uh, like, this is not a figment of your imagination that you get these hunger pangs. Right. But as you're probably noticed, when they come at times when you can't eat, mm-hmm. like, for instance, at mass right. before a medical procedure, when you just don't have time to eat, when you're hung, when you're nervous, mm-hmm. like I don't ever get hungry when I'm nervous. Yeah. Or when I'm about to like step out on stage and play music, like mm-hmm. I don't get it's probably hungry. a good thing, mm-hmm. right? And so at those times, those pangs go away, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then you might be starving afterwards, but that's another story, yeah. right? Um, try these tricks for riding these waves out, right? Coffee yep. or Yay. tea mm-hmm. with no sweeteners of any kind, or a cold cup of water with a dash of salt. Oh. Which fights dehydration. Oh. Yes, indeed. Electrolytes. Mm-hmm. Number four. What you eat affects how you feel while mm. fasting. Hello. That's true. If you can only have so much amount of food, right, then it would make sense not to eat something that is going to be filling, like popcorn, yeah. but has no nutritional value. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you knew this was coming. The anti carb diatribe, right? What carbs you in eat moderation is never important. Yes. When you beat the drum slowly. Eating carbs regularly makes fasting much more difficult. When you mm. eat your small meals while fasting, make them high in healthy fats. Avocado toast. Avocados, mm. yes. Mm. Mm. Moderately high in protein and, of course, low in carbs. carbs Hipsters of the world unite. So. Yes, indeed. Mm, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a Catholic fasting diet. It's gonna be the new craze. It's gonna be awesome. Mm. Uh, carbs push your blood sugar up so that it, so that it drops, b- causes a natural hormonal response. The crash that feels like you need to eat, right? This mm-hmm. yeah, this, this you need to eat crash. and sleep, mm-hmm. right? Yep. But just to clarify, whole grains are good for you, and you do need to eat those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, white flours, processed things. That's what we're talking about. Right. Yeah, well, I, well just, said. I I need to put that yeah. okay right. can you, so if you eat like this right if you eat uh this way you won't feel starved because your body hasn't been yo-yoing mm-hmm. all day due to carb intake mm-hmm. right empty carbs most of the time right and so leverage properly fasting can break your over-reliance on food we are a society that loves our food not just down here in the south but all over mm-hmm. right? it can be truly freeing to know that you do not need to eat and that when you do eat um it's to sustain your life not yeah. to entertain yourself which mm-hmm. is we could talk for days so there's the great spiritual benefit of learning all this stuff about your body right Mm -hmm. right and so you'll have more time to pray and serve others a greater awareness of those who go without which is super important right freed up funds with which to bless the less fortunate Mm -hmm. Uh, mental clarity and increased energy as a result of ditching all those carbs right and you can apply that you can apply to prayer uh, and to your vocation right Mm -hmm. so when you're thinking about fasting this lent 
right? You will be so much happier to give God the good gift of sacrificing things like eating whenever you want and eating things that aren't good for you and whatever you want versus giving him the gift of your old fasting, a day of miserable grouchiness. That's right. And uh, we are not grouchy because you're watching and listening. We're the Catholic Underground. Stick with us. We'll be right back after the break. Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To Thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To Thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of Thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. excited for like Keep half going. a second that you're gonna go welcome back you found us here with kathleen <laughs> we, oh, say, we say catholic underground i'm like Kathleen. Oh. oh yeah it's kind of like oh. when people say merry christmas and i think they're gonna say merry christopher oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they never do of course but every, most times when i when i type your name into my phone or an email uh-huh. it auto corrects to christ yes oh and i've I said, had that oh, issue too all right yeah. apple you know your stuff i am not the messiah <laughs> you know every three months people say the word bolivia that's, oh, that's about all I have. Bolivia. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. So, well, hi, I'm, I'm Father Christmas uh, with Kathy Lee and Bolivia. Um, Jeff, uh, Jeff, what what is your uh, pseudonym over there? Well, I, your it, pen it name? Really, it was pretty simple. Throughout high school, they always called me Big JB. So, oh, okay. So I've been JB. And Jackie Jorp Jump up and. <laughs> all right, our picks of the week. I'm sure you're happier coming up a little bit later. (laughs) But we want to talk a little bit about fear. Because uh, if you've ever been afraid before, I've been afraid. And, you know, I've I've flown pretty much regularly every year, I would say, since I was a baby child. Mm -hmm. Because my dad worked for Delta. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I grew up flying. Grew up in airports. Uh, I had the run of the place back before there was a TSA uh, in, in the Baton Rouge airport. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, back yeah. in the day. I got to sit behind the desk at the ticket counter and the gate and everything. Cool. But even today, even today, I still get a little squeamish whenever there is uh, a significant turbulence. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, now the rosary comes out mm-hmm. when there is significant turbulence. Like, knowing we're safe, knowing that, you know, Air Force yeah. pilots deal with a lot more than that. Right. But still, fear. Right. The unknown. Yeah. And... I think that's a great way of putting it. It's like fear of the unknown. Like you're not, when you have a moment like that, you're not usually afraid that you're going to fall out of the sky or like a few weeks ago, it was a few weeks ago when I was, I was taking, I was taking down my Christmas lights and it was only a few weeks ago. It's fine. Christmas lasted a long time this year. Um, but I was taking down my Christmas lights and the pitch of my roof is higher than I thought. And so I had to like extend the ladder all the way and I may be six foot tall, but I am scared to death of heights. And while I'm on the ladder, like it's leaning against the house, not going anywhere, like it's in the ground. I know, like I'm not gonna fall off the ladder, but I'm scared to death. Like I'm shaking. People are like driving by, and I'm just like, don't honk, don't honk, don't honk. Like I'm just terrified that I'm gonna fall off this ladder. But I think that 
you know, saying the fear of the unknown is a great way of putting it because oftentimes, you know, our, our behaviors or the things that, that come to our mind as one thing are often symptoms of something deeper mm-hmm. or, um, you know, it's like surface sins are usually symptomatic of something deeper, maybe a more subtle wound that kind of festers in mm-hmm. us. Um, and fear is a great example of something that is usually a, a sign of something deeper. It's like a, it's like a warning sign that, Hey, dig here. Um, mm-hmm. because there's yeah. something else brewing under the surface oh, that you need to, to look at. Yeah. Um, because fear, um, and you'll hear a lot of the, like the church fathers and a lot of theologians talk about how pride is like the, the source of a lot of various sins and a lot of various struggles and temptations. Um, but fear is also up there when it comes to motivations or, or common causes yeah. of, of things that most everyone struggles with. I wonder if we could say in a sense that fear is, a, is an extension of pride. I think right. so. In the, in the, the mm. sense that, that, you know, knowing and knowing and being completely in control of a situation, kind of being God mm-hmm. over it, if you will. Yeah. And, and fear is a recognition that I, I am not God. Right. But wanting to be, you know, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, this is an extreme kind of yeah. philosophical. No, but I, I can appreciate that because I was thinking a few months ago about like, when it comes to discernment, mm-hmm. like, and discernment of any kind, but when it comes to discernment, you know, if the motivation is fear rather than love, mm-hmm. what does that look like? And mm-hmm. I was trying to think through some of the things that might um, be signposts of someone who's being motivated by fear, and um, and you know thinking about like, well, I'm afraid that if I don't pick this thing, that the opportunity is going to go away. Oh, yeah. I'm afraid that if I if I don't follow down this path, that it won't mean that all these other things will happen. Or Kathleen, I'm afraid it's of the dis- FOMO. Yep. Yeah, oh, FOMO. Man, the fear FOMO. of missing out. Right? Yeah, I have that all the time. That's such an extrovert thing. I don't have that at all. Um, Or like fear of disappointing people, whatever. And I think I think you're right. Like it does come down to like fear of not being all things to all people, Mm -hmm. and all things for yourself. You know. So, but then love, you know, comes into play as this like this great self-sacrificial force and this great um, like uh, ability to empty the self instead of focusing on the self. Um, But yeah. But I mean, think about like. different kind of cardinal sins or um, or different temptations that people will have, like laziness or sloth, um, acedia. It can be like this hidden fear of discomfort or failure. Um, that's a big thing, especially with acedia, like just this fear of failure, mm-hmm. this fear of complacency. Um, narcissism, it could just be a, like a manifestation of a hidden fear of maybe being unloved or unwanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just go too far in the other extreme. Greed, it could be a fear of scarcity, of not having enough, mm-hmm. um, especially if there isn't enough of something to go around. Um, like a dragon sleeping on top of all of its gold and still wanting more. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm, yes. Or like in the me. scripture. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the reading corner. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or, or like, um, was it in the scriptures about like, you know, tearing down your barns to build bigger ones? Yes. Um, yeah. I, I think about that sometimes. I know yeah. what I shall do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then, and then I'll be set. Then I'll be yeah. safe. And then the very next line is, you fool. Right. Tonight your life will be demanded of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You fool. But yeah. yeah, but I mean, but then I will be safe. You know, like mm-hmm. we, we pursue these things um, with the, the intention that, well, this is the thing that will satiate me. You yeah. know, like if it's some kind of existential hunger. Your, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and then this is the thing that will save me. Um, and think about like lust. So lust and the different behaviors associated with that really oftentimes do reveal this hidden fear of intimacy or of confinement or of mm-hmm. commitment. Um, 
materialism it can drown a fear of of ultimate meaninglessness despair mm -hmm. yeah. um because you're just constantly trying to satiate with anything and everything you can find and it's usually because there's this like this this little pit of despair kind of brewing mm -hmm. um even anger can be like a defensive mechanism against a fear of weakness or a fear of vulnerability or a fear of of people not having the right perception of you or something like that um and so and that's not to say that like every fault is caused by fear, um, but it is a significant factor that motivates us often in these hidden ways that we aren't always conscious of because we're focusing, fear is like a negative thing. It's kind of like, like sin is a privation of a good. Fear is like the absence of what should be. Mm. Um, what, oh, what's that Princess Diaries? Um, like fear is not. Oh my. Oh gosh. Someone's gonna, it, this happened last week too. <laughs> uh, it's like the. Okay, anyway, there was something in the Princess Diaries about fear, and I can't come up with it, but Courage we're going to move on. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. The brave may not live forever, but the cautions do not live at all. There you go. And even in the accent, Ooh. that classic Genovian accent. Yeah, yeah, it's all, it's, it's the pears. <laughs> Keep going, <laughs> And sorry. the string cheese. Yeah. Mm. Um, all right, thank you for that. Um, so look, why are we so afraid? Why do we have these fears that fester in us and motivate who we become? Um, and, uh, the Catholic gentleman, Sam Guzman over at the Catholic gentleman believes that the answer lies in our deep awareness of our creatureliness, the fact mm. that we are created and not creator. Um, and then in our broken communion with God. And I think he really has something going there. Um, because by definition, we are finite creatures, yep. um, and finitude, um, the idea that we will end or that, mm -hmm. that we have a, we have limits, um, mm -hmm. implies vulnerability. We don't, I mean, that's what we say about young people, right? Is mm -hmm. 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Yeah. There, there is a, a not yet mature understanding of finitude. Yeah. yeah. And, and. While finitude, we like we equate it with weakness because like if I have limits, then that means I have places where I can be broken. Mm -hmm. I have places where I can be challenged um, or even destroyed. Um, but really, like when you come to know those limits, when you come to the point where you you reach a boundary of yourself, uh, of your own your own finitude, then that's a place of great freedom, but it also, it only comes through realizing that you are vulnerable and that you are dependent in some way. Mm -hmm. um, it's when we go the opposite way and we have these like delusions of grandeur that we think that, and we start to believe that we are in control of our own lives, that we start to think that we can control the world around us. And that way, is li that way lies madness because there's no truth in that, right? Like, sure, we can control some things, but in, in the final estimation, we are not God. Mm -hmm. And that we, our limits are, are, infinite compared to his unlimitedness. Um, so really like when it comes to, to like embracing our finitude, it really means just embracing the fact that we're vulnerable and that that's not a bad thing. It's just, it, it's the current situation. Yeah. Um, in fact, really in the spiritual life, you can't get anywhere unless you yeah. make friends with the fact that you, are, you, you need to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, and the Lord needs that from you because yeah. that, uh, and there's a, a book that I love and I read all the time, but talks about how like divine poverty means like, um, going after what in you is most vulnerable because that is where you're most capable of loving. Mm -hmm. but that's usually where you're least likely to let the Lord in. Um, because that's a place of great poverty, right? It's a place where we feel like we have nothing to offer, or maybe that's where all of our wounds hide. Mm -hmm. um, and but that really is where we're most capable of loving, um, if we would only, you know, take that tiny step towards grace and, and allow that to be open in us. Um, 
But I mean, in reality, we are like deeply aware of how fragile we are um, and this very real ability we have to be hurt. And we know this because a lot of us are hurt and like we we experience that almost daily. And so we're afraid. We're afraid of more hurt. We're afraid of old hurt coming up again. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like little lizards in the desert, we form these defensive mechanisms to shield ourselves emotionally from other people. Or we stay under the rock. (laughs) Or we stay under the rock. Yeah, that would be me. Um, But these mechanisms that we put in our defense can, if we don't check them, if we don't, you know, weigh them against the goods, Mm -hmm. can become habits of being that define us. Um, And to the point where we can look at them, maybe even objectively and say, I know that this is something wrong. I just have no idea how to fix it. Which can be a danger in the spiritual life, because whenever we whenever we recognize the the, the, I guess the privation, when we realize the thing that we don't have. Mm -hmm. We can either stay there and exist there, or we can then kind of move forward in the spiritual life and saying, okay, Lord, what's what's this here to teach me? Right. You know? Right. But doing that, I mean, requires kind of like this... Um forgive me, but like this like Heideggerian, like standing out in the open, mm-hmm. like, like being thrown into like the realm of being and just like, that's a very vulnerable place to be, but it's also where growth happens. Right. You know, like you can imagine in that scenario, you're like standing out in the open and you're completely vulnerable. There's no defenses around you. Mm-hmm. You're in this like wide open, you know, field or whatever. Middle school dance, I believe. Would be. Yes. <laughs> yep. That is uh-huh. the primordial state of all human <laughs> yeah. beings. It's true. Yeah, it's very true. Um, no, in our real primordial state, um, we are, we're no less finite and vulnerable. And that primordial state I'm talking about is not the middle school dance. It's <laughs> the garden, um, mm-hmm. the state of original justice, yeah. um, where we had, uh, this, these gifts of super abundant grace, um, that, that allowed us to, um, to be in the, have this, this uninterrupted intimate communion with God. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were still finite and vulnerable. Yeah, um, we, we were still, still traveled through a timeline, but we knew that we were being upheld by God. Right. Because um, and I think it's Augustine who talks about how Adam and Eve were still created in a state of becoming. Mm-hmm. They still had to become holy. They still had to pursue God. It was just a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so in that original state of a, a state of original justice, we perceived God's goodness in everything. Um, we knew that every moment of being was a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a child confident in his father's arms, we returned thanks for the gift of life with perfect trust that our father willed good for us. So we, we had this relationship of mutual giving um, because we knew that what was coming from God was good for us. But since the fall, the introduction of sin, our communion with God is broken. So we no longer perceive his goodness in the world. And in fact, uh, the, sometimes the opposite is happening. We yeah. look at the world and we only see evil, mm-hmm. um, which as if you remember from your reading and your listening is not a substance, it is the lack of a substance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we no longer trust God with complete confidence. We, we feel like we can't look to him and, tr- and trust that what's coming to us is good. Um, and that puts us in a state of fear. So w- this, is, this is not news to us. We all can, can kind of nod our heads and be like, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is hope. There's always hope. Um, and the Psalms are a really great place to turn for, for something like this, especially when it comes to, to fear. Because the psalmist, uh, the main psalmist, David, he was no stranger to fear. I um, love the Psalms, I yeah. tell you, because everything's in there. Oh, yeah. It really is. Spectrum of human emotion. That's exactly right. It starts, it starts with a, kind of the, the saying, look, this is, this is the one who's not a fool, <laughs> the mm-hmm. one who fears God, yeah. um, but it's not an—it's not a fear that is uh, that is recognizing that that we're we should be afraid. But it is the true fear of God is recognizing that we are finite and that mm-hmm. God, the infinite, can can bring us farther than we would be able to go on our own. Right. 
Right. And that comes through this, this dialogue, you know, so the important thing to remember about the Psalms is that they are this continual conversation with God. Mm-hmm. So while we're going through the spectrum of human emotions, um, it's God who's, I mean, the inspired words of scripture. Um, and we know that, that the Psalms are part of that inspired word of scripture. So the, these are God's words given to us to speak to him. God is giving us like an instruction manual of like, if you're feeling this, say this to me. And that's significant because it's an acknowledgement on God's part that like, I will not leave you orphans, right? We Mm -hmm. hear that in John's gospel. And this is a way that God does not leave us orphans because he gives us the words to be able to verbalize and to concretize in some sense our experience and then hand it over and really give it, really hand it over. Yeah. Sharon in the chat room says that she is in fear because of illness. It's a bad feeling. Yeah. And, uh, and so Sharon know that we'll be praying for you on the other side of the show for sure. Um, but, but yeah, that's a real thing. And and then to be able to, to turn ourselves over to the Lord, um, we, we, we might, we might suggest the Psalms to, to you, Sharon, because they're, there definitely is, is a place for you in, in inserting yourself into the Psalms. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we and we know that our Lord, even um, in the, the reality of his humanity, he was fully human and fully divine. But in the reality of his humanity, he was not impervious to fear. Yeah. Uh, one of my, my favorite parts of, of Lent, certainly in Holy Week, but also just um, year round, um, is is kind of meditating on the agony of the garden Mm -hmm. and the fact that, you know, before his passion, Jesus, Jesus's anxiety was so great that blood vessels burst Mm -hmm. in his head and great drops of blood streamed down his face. The level of anxiety that it takes a human person to do that is, is beyond magnitude. Like we, I can hardly even like conceptualize what that would look like or what that would, what the experience of that would be like. So he's not a stranger to it. He knows what fear is. Um, but despite the storms that raged and threatened, we take comfort in the fact that Jesus and the, and the suffering saints um, in the, the ages since who followed him, they had their hearts perfectly at peace. You know, think about like when, when the disciples were in the boat and it was all like storming and, and they were for fear of the, in fear of their lives and Jesus was like sleeping under the bow of the boat, mm-hmm. right? Like that's perfect peace, being able to rest and trust because the only reason that Jesus was able to sleep in his humanity was the fact that he trusted. Mm-hmm. He knew that God the Father had good things, not only for him, but for them. Um, it's when we have that disconnect and we, we lose sight of that trust because there's a threat coming at us or there's something that seems bigger. There's something that seems larger than, than what we can, the trust of God seems farther away than what's right in front of us. Um, and we can lose sight of that and then we become distracted. Really, that's what happens. Um, and so... All of this, you know, all everything that, that the disciples endured, um, everything that Jesus himself endured, and everything that the saints in heaven endured, they, they were able to do because they were perfectly surrendered to the will of God. And that's yeah. not an easy thing. I know that people kind of like offer that as a panacea, like just surrender. And like that sounds nice. And sometimes maybe it's easy and that's a great grace if it is. But a lot of times it's really difficult because like I said, like the threats that are in front of you are, seem insurmountable and the trust in God seems far away. That's right. My, my almost cousin Tom uh, in the chat room says it took re- it took getting cancer for me to realize that I wasn't giving God complete control of my life. Mm. When I got my diagnosis, I gave it wholly and completely to God. I woke the next morning with the peace that passes all understanding. So many things that I feared in life, I now had peace about those things. Mm. And that's really what yeah. it is 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 turning ourselves over completely. Lord, I have I have no control over this. This is not something that I cause, it's not something you cause, it's simply something that is. Yeah. And so I give it 
I give it to you. I offer this as a sacrifice of prayer to you. Yeah. And it's then that we're able to allow what the Lord wants to give us, mm. grace. Yeah. <laughs> the the peace that surpasses understanding, which by the way is what we that's what we're supposed to offer at mass, right? right? Yeah. We're not giving our peace to the other person. We're trying to offer the peace of the Lord that's supposed to be resting with us at that right. moment, right? Yeah. Uh, at mass before receiving holy communion. Yeah. And those gifts that we give him in in our sufferings are so precious to him. They are. Yeah. Um and like and w- if we could say with Job like I have been thinking about this verse a lot lately, so I love that this is what Guzman talks about, but you know, Job says though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Yeah. Um yeah. like no matter what comes, I will trust in him. Mm-hmm. Um because whether the whether the Lord fixes it or whether it stays the same or whether it becomes what I imagine it to be, the Lord is good and yeah. he will, he will do it. He will do what is good and he will provide. He always will. Um, and that peace that, that we experience, that we hear from other people, it's possible for all of us. Um, but moving from fear to perfect trust is not an easy thing. It's a gradual thing. It takes time. It takes experience. It takes failure. Um, it also takes recognizing where we need to be practicing more trust because some areas of our life, it may be easier to trust the Lord than others. Um, and it also doesn't mean that we're never going to face trials. It, it, we most assuredly will. That's like the one thing that we can, we can count on because Jesus tells us that, that we will, we will face trials and they will be great ones, but that he will never leave us orphans. He will right. never leave us alone. Um, and that if we abide in him, um, we will abide in the father. That's right. Um, and so if we, if we give ourselves with perfect confidence to the will of God, if we say with Job, you know, though he slay me, I will trust in him. If we just repeat that over and over, Jesus, I trust in you. Um, we mm. find peace and, and even if the suffering seems so close, oftentimes it's because like St. Like, um, Teresa of Calcutta says, she says, like, if you are experiencing suffering, it's usually because you've come so close to the cross of Jesus that you are able, that he's able to kiss you. That's right. You know, like, mm-hmm. and, and only the, the experience of that great suffering can only come if you are experiencing that closeness. Right. That's right. Um, so, uh. Yeah. If you're if you're struggling with something that that uh, that you're afraid of or that's just a, a source of great fear, um, and you're struggling to find peace, know that it's possible. Um, know that like the Lord knows, um, and that He's a God of order, and He wants to restore order in your life. He wants to to restore order in your heart. Um, just trust Him. That's I know right. that it like it, it it's a seems like an easier thing said than done, but just uh, continually offer um, trust um, and and. Trust yeah. that the Lord will do it because day is probably David. And that's a great act of the will to say, yeah. Jesus, I trust in you. It's no coincidence mm. that when our Lord appeared to St. Faustina, that was the whole method and mode of being able to, to, to receive the mercy of God, mm-hmm. uh, to reach out to us even though we have no ability to repay him. Uh, is to say, Jesus, I trust in you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't have to take our word for it, Da-dun-dun. but uh, <laughs> what we can do perhaps is pray with the words of St. Paul. And so uh, we offer we offer all of you who are suffering uh, to Sharon and, uh, and to Tom and to all of those who perhaps have experienced just fear. Listen to the words of St. Paul. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, Will he not also give us all things with him? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors because of him who has loved us. Mm. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Jesus, I trust in you. And we lift up all of those who are in pain into your arms, into your mercy. And it's now time for that part of the show that we like to call the CU Pick of the Week. All righty. Picks of the Week. Kathleen, uh, why don't we put I'm you back, back on top here? <laughs> Yes. Back on top. What are you trying to say? Yeah. Oh, at the top of the top of the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever. We let Olivia go first a couple times. <laughs> yeah, you know. Now. Kathleen was kicking me under the table, so I had uh, to do it. Oh, I gave him. A, I, it went see big of the week, and I went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, gave, she gave me the king cake eye. <laughs> me. <laughs> Lay off me. I'm fasting. Okay. Um, okay. So I I love some some worship music. I play worship music, which makes it. I, I mean, I'm in some bands, which also makes it really difficult to. Um, sometimes appreciate because it, the same song you play oceans a million times and then that's it you're like this was a beautiful song and now it's you know the macarena of, <laughs> of praise and worship but i found well. <laughs> so i found in my in my um advanced age um that i appreciate a much simpler worship style like it didn't even have to be complicated all these songs that like tell a whole story uh-uh i just need like one phrase. i love a ballad but yeah but yeah. let's be real yeah. so i i was just turned on to this um i knew will reagan and united pursuit uh but their um their 2013 album uh <laughs> called live at the bank's house i was talking to a friend of mine adam and he was telling me about this and he's like yeah it was just a bunch of a bunch of people who sat around at a house and recorded these worship songs and they are so simple and so beautiful um the whole album is is pretty awesome um but if you're looking for something that's simple uh that's going to lead you into like i I don't want to say pure worship but just really simple pure worship that's all it is it's Mm -hmm. not fancy but it's beautiful beautiful lyrics um beautiful musician very cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll have to look it up. Well, Kathleen and I have been in a share, a music sharing, you know, yeah. situation mm-hmm. in the past few weeks. So that's cool. Olivia, how's about you? Yes. So <laughs> Sorry, I, keep going. I feel like you should just skip me. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, um, I can't wait to hear this. Well, I haven't been including your sharing, that's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> oh, I, so my pick of the week is um, the dance. Okay, just stay with me. Okay. Dansko We're, Professional Clogs. And I know that that sounds really <laughs> dorky, but <laughs> Kathleen, shush. So <laughs> I... Did I, I do that? <laughs> no, they're so mean. No, they're actually really cute in the, in the color that I'm going to recommend to you, in the honey distressed color. So I've been looking for, I like like clogs that are cute with like little straps and little heels and everything, but I was looking for something to wear to work that wasn't so much of a heel, but it was still comfortable. Mm. And these are the shoes, y'all, these are the shoes that like doctors and nurses wear that like keep their feet alive and sane. Yeah, they usually do wear a custom clog. Yeah, or like uh, when I worked in a restaurant, I wore like not a nice clog like this, but I wore something like that because they're like non-slippery. They're, y'all, they're so comfortable and not all of the colors, Kathleen, are good. They do come in iridescent. (laughs) They come in lots of different shades I love but it. they're so comfortable um and like they're gonna last forever these shoes are like famous um for how well they last so if you're looking for something like that and they're actually like if you do the honey distress color they're very cute and they go with a lot of things and I'm I can't recommend them enough so mm. that is my pick of the week no judgment Good moving on I Mr. Love Jeff. It. <laughs> I love it yeah I can I yeah I'm getting your love Mr. Hey. Jeff what's up <laughs> I'm ordering two pair right now hey uh wireless mic changes that's what's coming uh July 13th 2020 oh, that's right. uh the 600 megahertz wireless uh, band is going away 
Um, well, it's at least not for wireless mics anymore. They'll no longer be allowed in the U.S. As uh, cellular 5G begins its growth. In fact, there's already been testing in South Mississippi. And some of the, uh, there's a school over there that uses 600 uh, megahertz um, microphones and are going like, what's going on? Mm, time to go buy some new ones. So um, uh, you can't rent them uh, after the, uh, you know, July 13th, 2020. You, you can't buy them. You can't sell them. So now's the time to unload them because uh, you can sell them like up in Canada and they're, they're flying up there and it's still legal. So uh, sell them while you can. So uh, there's in the show notes a couple of uh, links to, to give you a little more information about that. But let your church or, or especially your Catholic school know because they, they, they use probably mics in this uh, frequency range. Yeah, we actually got a, a note in our clergy communique about that because, of course, you know, uh, the bane of the existence of priests is air conditioners and sound systems, mm-hmm. and uh, and so if it's not one, it's the other. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So and I had a couple of calls this week. That's the reason I brought it up. So that explains oh. it. Cool. Wow. Right, Your pick of the know. week. <laughs> I guess I should do my pick of the week. My pick of the week actually had the physical copy of it, but uh, if you don't know, the Knights of Columbus have been uh, for a while now doing something called the Catholic Information Service, and so they mm-hmm. have these little booklets. And I believe all of them are available in PDF format, but I've been reading their Building the Domestic Church series, and the one that I'm reading presently is uh, entitled Becoming a Real Man of God. And uh, this is for for the men of your parish. This is, uh, guys, this guy, this uh, this father here does not, uh, does not pull any punches. It's written by Father Roger Landry, and uh, it's really quite something. Um, and if you want to understand what it means to be a man of God, to be a father, uh, to be a husband... I would recommend uh, this this uh, PDF if you want to read it, or if you want to ask your pastor to uh, to buy some of them too. It might mm. be helpful. I'm thinking mm. about doing that in yeah. in my parish. So that's that's my pick of the week: uh, building the domestic church series, becoming a real man of God from the Knights of Columbus Catholic Information Service. Well, Jeff, uh, we're always grateful for those who are our benefactors, you who pray for us. And we're also grateful for those who listen and watch, aren't we? Indeed. And this week, the Catholic Underground is possible because of people like you. Join the growing number of undergrounders at catholicunderground.com slash update. An important way to support us is to like us, mm-hmm. heart us. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. Star us and share us on your social media platform of choice. And if you really like our podcast, pop by iTunes and leave us a review. A five-star would be nice. Yep. Uh, and click them stars, Jerry. That's right. Do it now. Click mm-hmm. in the water because we know that Kathleen listens to podcasts yes. uh, during her bath. So yes, right. I do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. All right, our panelists have indeed been Kathleen Lee, the benefactress. Uh, she's our hope samurai at K Lee six two six on Instagram. There it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Olivia Galino is at the real OMG with little dots in the middle of yes. the dot real dot OMG. There it is on all of the social media. <laughs> Thanks, uh, thanks, Olivia. Thank you. Yeah, we got uh, Jeff up there. He's our technical director. He's at jeffblackwell.us and at jeffblackwellis on uh, Instagram and Twitter. It's a privilege being here, Father. Danke, Jeff. And, uh, of course, uh, our research assistant, our leader of the crew in the labs, our managing editor is Jim Hayes. Thank you, Jim. Our video and graphics director is Ed Ball. And you know me. I'm Father Chris Decker. You can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook. No, not on Facebook. Instagram and Twitter at Digital Catholic. Huh, we've hoped we've helped. We hope we've helped you come all of the things. No, we hope we've helped you cut through the noise and find that still small voice. Just read the letters, Father Chris. Uh, we are the Catholic Underground. We're Faithground Digital. We wish you happy Mardi Gras. We'll see you next time.
from the Catholic Underground.